So today we have, this is Thursday, and then tomorrow, and the Saturday is the Pavarna day in the Vasa. So in these past few years I've been emphasizing the getting to, to know the first three fetters of the ten fetters. Sangyojanas. And so, this is something I found extremely helpful to clarify in my own practice. Because it's very clear, clearly stated, the four stages, the ten fetters. And of course, the danger of this is. Uh, is to, you know, the ego definitely wants to become a Sotapanna or an Arahant or something like that. So the ego, you know, the sense of the created self-view that comes out of ignorance, wants to become, attain. And this attaining, achieving, wanting to become is Bhavadanha. You know, so in the in the, and you explore this bhavadanha, and then when I talk like this, I'm investigating. I'm not saying you should. You've got to get rid of fetters or dhanha or anything like that. This is an awakened state. The Buddha, the Puto, awakened consciousness. It's not an annihilation or a judgment about the value or uselessness of anything whatsoever. So, because, you know, usually we don't know the difference. We don't know, we don't, we think wisdom is being critical. No, we're usually the, you know, the philosophizing about things and coming to having, forming views or opinions. And usually based you know, on the intellectual conditioning of the mind. But the Buddha is pointing to something much more profound than intellectual conditioning or clever use of, of the thought or the intellect. And so that's, that's awakened consciousness. Where then the, the three fetters can be seen, you know, as what, for what they are. There's nothing wrong with the fetters in terms of, you know, having an ego or a cultural conditioning or thinking or doubt or anything like this. But it's to to put them in the perspective of Dhamma, seeing them in terms of what they really are, how they affect consciousness. How, you know, if we don't see this, then we're just merely caught in the in our views and opinions and prejudices and and uh, the confusion that comes out of that. So, you know, when you start thinking about yourself, you start thinking, I'm I'm unenlightened, ignorant person that has to become enlightened, hopefully, and by attaining stream entry. And this is the this is the thinking process. This is how my thinking process works. Seeing myself in terms of, of uh, 
a lack of something or overestimating over you know inflating my ego saying i'm i'm a tr a truly enlightened master of dhamma or something like this is uh, you know the the opposite but it amounts to the same thing whether you think you're a hopeless meditator absolutely getting nowhere in your practice full of defilements uh, or you think you're the most gifted Buddhist since Gotama. These are all thoughts. You know, and th these are, you know, one is negative, one positive. And it's clinging to these thoughts, believing them, you know, believing them, identifying with them, being intimidated by them. Now, how do you get perspective on that kind of thinking? I'm taking the, putting it in extreme terms. <coughs> Most of us don't go to that extreme, you know, but in, in either direction. But uh, the only possible way is to to look not to think I shouldn't think like that, because then you're then you say I shouldn't think I'm the greatest Buddhist since Gotama or. I shouldn't uh, disparage myself. I should have more self-respect. I should appreciate and love myself more. You're still in the thinking process. And you, you go around with that. You, you're still stuck in the conditioned realm. And if you can't, if you have no way out of that conditioning, you might be able to improve the conditions a bit by telling, you know, by thinking about your good virtues and and that you're really lovable and and sincere Buddhist practitioner and being modest and politically correct and all the rest. But it's still, the trap is still there. So, so there is the unborn, the unconditioned. But then if I think I'm the unborn, unconditioned, it's about, you missed the point. <laughs> the whole point is, you know, awareness. This is, this is a very direct teaching. So obvious. Mindfulness, path to the deathless. Appamado amatapadang. Therefore, it's uh, the Sakya Ditti, Silabhata uh, Brahmasa Vichikita. You know, it's uh, get to know these. It's, uh, the, the Western mind always thinks you've got to get rid of the fetters. And, uh, and, and it's just, uh, you know, if you, if you see, because the word fetter means, you know, like manacles or being bound to something, being enslaved, fettered by something, by an obsession, we know that's not good and we want to be free. But all this desire to be free and get rid of the fetters is still, is still, is still in the samsara, still on the conditioned plane. You know, and it, it just one thing goes on to the next. So, so the statement, there is the unborn, uncreated, unconditioned, Therefore, there is the escape. 
So that the escape then, the Buddha pointed to the only way we can escape the the born, the created, is through awareness, awakened attention, and it's sati sampachanya, sati panya. Now, in in monastic life, you know, use the the convention to really explore this, because uh, you know we all get confused and caught up in the convention itself, in views and opinions about what other people say, teachers and books that we read and <coughs> different religious attitudes and more inspiring uh, forms of religion and, and boredom and, and disillusionment with Theravada and th- things like this. They, we, one goes through the whole gamut uh, you know, of emotional experience in regard to the conventions. And so it always looks, you know, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. So this sense of, you know, I need something more than this. This is not enough. It's not fulfilling me like I expected it to. Well, these are all words again, isn't it? This is thinking, sense of self, it's it's the same thing, you know, wherever you go, you take that with you. Inspiration is not sustainable. The honeymoon period doesn't last very long, where it's all orange blossoms and kisses. And then I- into the dreariness of ordinary life and, and the and what brings up our own fears and desires and aversions, doubts and whatnot. And so these fetters, you know, are ways of contemplating what the, the going very directly to the Sakyaditi. Now I've, I've said many times that Sakyaditi is not difficult to see. Uh, it's because we make it, we create it. I create my Sakya Ditti. It's not natural. So I don't believe it. My personality, what it says to me, what it thinks, how it feels. I don't believe in it. I don't take my refuge in my personality. Because if I did, I'd be a basket case. My personality is... You know, some some of it's all right. Some of it's really silly and stupid. So it it's you know it's it's conditioned. So so it's not to be trusted. So how to how to see that? Not not I'm not trying to get rid of the person. I can't get rid of it. You know, I can't try to act like another person. You know, my attempts in the first attempts at being a head of a monastery at Wat Nana Cha, trying to act like Lung Po Cha, was a disaster. You know, he was the role model for what an abbot should be, so I tried to act like that, and of course nobody would, have, would you know, they just uh, resisted and <laughs> resented and fought against me all the way, because it was phony. You know, it was being 
I was trying to pretend to be an abbot, to be Jawawak, to be like Lung Po Cha. So playing roles, you know, being a, a role, you know, trying to act like the perfect monk or nun or <coughs> the enlightened master doesn't work. Because it's still, you know, it's an, it's not an act. It's not something. It's not a, a masquerade we're we're engaging in, but awakeness and seeing and knowing things as they are. So, getting to know my personality, I had to make it to allow it to operate, to pay attention to to sakyaditi. So I spent years really contemplating Sakyaditi. I watched it all the time. When, years ago when I had that month with the Siladaras in the Soko, uh, Nisoko, you know, we spent a whole month of March and uh, I gave them permission to, to tell me what they thought of me with no uh, forbidden subjects. You know, so I sat there with Ajahn Jitindaro and we, and, and every afternoon for a month, I listened to what their views about me <laughs> or how they felt. Well, then I could see, you know, I was, I was exploring Sakyaditi Because when some, when they, you know, I had a very dysfunctional relationship with them, with the nuns. So, I, you know, it's obviously not working, you know, and I was obviously the one that was the blocking the whole process. You know, because nobody could really say how they felt and, and everybody was just stymied, really. And it was, you know, I could see it was... Me, that uh, you know, I was actually the, the big obstruction being the, in the position I'm in. So then this, uh, this giving license, freedom to uh, criticize. And I determined I was going to listen. I wasn't going to try to defend myself or be aggressive or try to set them straight or criticize them or do anything other than listen and and feel the reactions that I had to what I heard. And this was, and this I could do because of this uh, sound of silence. And I developed this practice because before this I couldn't take criticism. If somebody criticized me, I'd just react to it. I'd get very defensive, or I'd get aggressive, or I'd, I'd hurt, I'd be offended, upset, and with no way other than just being stuck in the fear of, of uh, criticism. So there's always these messages, don't, don't say that to Ajahn Sumato, don't mention that, don't, uh, you better not, uh, you know, there's, uh, and not that I was giving orders that 
but you know you pick it up you know what just so for survival you know how to operate to survive in a community so you don't get my wrath coming down on you and then <laughs> so then the the uh And I knew this was, uh, but it wasn't so much that I didn't, you know, I didn't like this about myself either, but I was afraid. I didn't know how to handle criticism from others. I had no, you know, I just didn't know what to do with it. Either I'd get very hurt and sulk and go off and just feel, I've got to leave, I can't stand this, it's too much, I can't do this anymore. Or I'd get into very blaming state, you know, it's your fault, you don't understand, you're wrong. And now, those are the two, two kind of ways of, you know, reacting to, to a criticism from others. Now, the way to, now that's Sakyaditi, isn't it? This, this, this sense of poor me, I've worked so hard setting up this monastery and 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 I don't get any thanks for it. All I get is criticism, and that's like a ditty. Or it's your fault. You just you just missed the point. You never get it right. You're to blame. Is like a ditty. So whether it's you know I can't do it. I'm not wise enough, good enough leader. I should leave. Is like a ditty. Or, or the other, or you, you, your hopeless case, you should leave. Is suck it. <laughs> I mean, it's just whatever I think, you know, comes out of ignorance and avicca. And it's about me, how things affect me. And, and how um, fear and, and desire. So, so then developing this practice around the sound of silence, you know, because I can see I stopped thinking then. And I can actually receive, you know, I can listen to people. It doesn't, doesn't, it makes me much better listener. And I can also be aware of my own emotional reactions to what I hear at the same time. Because it's not thought, I'm not caught in just react. If I just react, you know, you criticize me, and I, oh, you've got it all wrong. That's a reaction. There's, there's no space in that. It's just merely, you know, y you press the button and this is what you get. It's mechanical. It's conditioned. So, but, but in this space, this, uh, the unconditioned, then there's room for the conditions, whatever they might be. It doesn't matter whether, you know, it's uh, praise or blame or, or whatever. It's just, it's like this. And so it can be, I can listen. It doesn't, just, doesn't uh, inhibit listening, hearing. Or it doesn't inhibit me from being aware of what I'm feeling, my emotional reactions at the same time. Now that's, that's what I, why I can't, it's, it's unconditioned. This is mindfulness because it's receptive state that where conditions arise and cease.
if you just if you just attach to another condition like tranquility, isn't it? You, you have tranquility, and because that's very conditioned, you know, it depends on quietness and lack of stimulation and not speaking, and you, you go into nice tranquil states, and then uh, it's very pleasant, very uh, blissful kind of experience, but it's easily dis disrupted. It's not unconditioned. It depends. Being, uh, being tranquil is dependent on conditions. But this uh, unconditioned is, is, is outside of the conditioning. So it has perspective on conditions. So in uh, in my own practice, then I I was quite I felt very good at the end of a month. You know, it was pretty hard going sometimes sitting there, you know, because a lot of the things they said I you know were painful and and uh, brought up emotions and things. But I I didn't uh, I don't think I blew it once the whole time <laughs> and the. Uh, but the result was, at the end of a month, it was like something had 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 been. You know, there was nothing more to do. You know, it's like that something had been resolved. And in myself, I felt that. You know, like I, I, I had actually learned how to sustain, to be, to rest in this state of awareness alert attentiveness where my senses are still operating and I'm aware of sensory experience whether it's emotional or what, sound or sight, whatever. Well, and that, that, that because of that experiment that's the one way of investigating Sakyaditi. So I listened to myself too. I listened to, I listened to my own reaction. I didn't speak on these emotional reactions, but I could listen to my own. Oh, how can they treat me like this? Or sort of self-pity, or anger, or uh, oh, it wasn't like that at all. You've got it all wrong. Feeling, I could actually, you know, be aware of this as reaction. And, and listen to to my own reactions to the the stimulation that I was getting, and so and that is uh, awareness then, because if I trusted this awareness, even though on a personal level I could be offended or hurt, feelings hurt or you know upset, there was an awareness of being hurt and upset. You know, and that awareness, that sati sampatanya, isn't upset by anything. So, you know, on a personal level, I can be upset. I can be hurt. You can break my heart. You can, uh, you know, all kinds of things on a person. But that's sakyaditi. I know it. This is what I've. I've in, in, investigated personal 
That's where all the suffering is, is on that personal level. But if I rest and the unconditioned doesn't make me <clears throat> insensitive or, or, you know, doesn't, doesn't cut me off from things or blind me, it doesn't make me just indifferent and cold and sterile. But it, it allows me to understand the way things are. So I'm not, you know, I'm not a, a helpless victim of, of the conditioning process, of emotional habits, of the opinion of others, of success or failure, praise or blame, happiness or suffering. But it's not a cold, cold, uh, sterile state at all. It's full, it's complete. It's a, it's a oneness, it's oneness, putting it into the, these concepts. To be realized, it's budget tongue, way tidapo, we knew it, to be realized individually by the wise, through wisdom. So because the, the fear, then I wasn't afraid because I could, I actually succeeded uh, in, in, you know, I, I, I understood then how to deal with criticism and my own anger. I had a refuge outside the anger or the uh, hurt feelings. So then I wasn't afraid of being hurt anymore. Or, or I used to be frightened of my own anger, because you know my anger when I when I when I explode in anger it, it frightens me. Not to mention everyone else, I'm a frightening person when I get angry. Big bloke like me, being Leo too. You know we we like the you know we we growl and, and put on a big show of rage. It's absolutely terrifying, I hear. <laughs> but uh, it terrifies me. <laughs> because, it, you know, it is uh, it's conditioned though. It's not, it is Sakya Ditti. And I know this. I don't believe in it. Then testing out, you know, like, like the uh, the basic Sakyaditi, I am unenlightened. Now, because I'm <coughs> see myself as a rather modest person, so to go around making claims of, you know, I'm uh, to, to to go around telling people I'm a kind of an advanced person, is not part of my personality makeup. I'm much more. British, actually, in this sense, you know, I think it, it's just rude and vulgar to go around. And say, I'm, you know, I'm so gifted. I'm so such a great person. <laughs> so the uh, so the tendency is to uh, to to put myself down, you know, on the on this condition, sakyaditi. So it sounds modest and uh, you know reasonable personality. I have a usually quite reasonable 
pleasant personality. But then in, you know, in investigating Sakyaditi, just seeing how I am a, uh, you know, I am unenlightened and I need to practice in order to become enlightened. Now when I first started meditation, that's definitely how I felt. You know, I really felt I'm, you know, I'm really need of something, you know, I'm a miserable, unhappy person, disappointed, unenlightened, and I've got to do something about it. So that, that brought me into monasticism, at least. But then, uh, you know, then in terms, when meditating, always, if that view is never challenged, you know, then, then the tendency is always to come from that view of, uh, I've got, you know, the sense of I've got to work hard and practice hard and do something, get something, get rid of something. Now the logic comes from that position. If I start from I'm unenlightened person who needs to practice to become enlightened in the future, that, and that's my modus operandi. That's where I come from. That's where I start. That's the premise that I operate from in meditation. What happens? You know, sometimes I can create states where I feel very enlightened, but I can't sustain them. I can't sustain the illusion of being an enlightened person for very long. When something comes in and and you crash, you know, you get in the first year when I was a Samanera, you know, I, I felt I was enlightened. I got so, you know, I did so much meditation, didn't speak, I lived alone in this kuti for months, got so refined, so concentrated, and my mind was just so blissful. And then going into the immigration office in Nong Kai to get my visa extended, absolutely shattered it. You know, something just routine like that. Going into an office and doing something quite ordinary, you know. From this state of total enlightenment, understanding everything and bliss and joy and love. And then crashing in a, in a, in a second. You know, just it's like being shattered, like glass shattering when a rock's thrown through a window. Wow! <laughs> you know, what as good as that? You know, become, you know, I have to stay in the, I've got to run back to my kuti and, and, and try to get it all back again. And didn't want to, you know, didn't want to do anything like going to Bangkok absolutely f- terrified me. You know, getting on a train and having to deal with civil servant, immigration and all this and just, you know, it was too much. Because I was too, you know, too uh, refined. I was too, I, the conditioning was, was, so, was so refined that, that ordinary life was just too coarse for me to bear. That's Sal Sakya Ditti. I put that under the category of Sakya Ditti. 
So I am unenlightened who has a person has to become like Sakya Ditti. I am an enlightened person is Sakya Ditti. So, so what is what am I saying? Sakya Ditti is uh, I am this and that and me and mine, isn't it? It's thinking. You have to think to become a person. Now, if I'm aware of thinking, being aware of thinking then, because I can be aware of thinking. You all can, isn't it? It's very easy. Think deliberately. You know, I'd, deliberately I'd say to myself, I am an unenlightened person practicing in order to become enlightened in the future. I deliberately think that. I'd listen to myself thinking that. And I'd keep listening and say it over and over. They'll actually, you know, after a while it becomes rather meaningless. And that which is aware of thought, you know, it's a way of separating awareness from the thinking process. So you're not trying to become somebody who's aware, but you're recognizing awareness is very natural. It's not personal. Because I don't create it. I, c I can create myself in all forms. I can be saintly or demonic or, you know, I can, all kinds of, whatever I choose to grasp and create, that I become on a personal level. But if my, but if my refuge is in awareness, that's non-personal. That's unconditioned. Where the conditions then, and, and thinking is a condition, isn't it? It's obviously, it's a, you know, a, something you acquire after you're born. You think with language, think in English or whatever language you've learned. Memories, we, re, we have retentive memories, so we identify with, with the memories. I did this, I've done that, I was born way back then. <laughs> all that kind of these are this is all sakyaditi. Well it's all right once you see it, and you can still use it. I can still on my birthday have a slideshow about showing me when I was three years old or something. Say that's me when I was three years old. <laughs> that's that's sakyaditi. But it's no longer a fetter. It's merely conventional, you know, it's convention. Because, it, you know, it's seen for, it's a skillful, it can be a skillful means, thinking process is, is a gift, you know, it's not to be despised. But rather than becoming a victim of our own thinking habits, obsessed with our thinking and our memories and, and these delusions about ourselves then that is really a miserable mental state. That is dukkha. So, so in uh, the, the way there is the escape from the conditioned. And this, this attentiveness. So at being attentive to I am unenlightened person who's 
must practice in order to become enlightened. And then I investigate, you know, the sense of myself, my position, my, what I've done, my faults, my, the terrible things I've thought or done in the past, or the successes or failures, or all the things that I'm, I was even afraid to think. You know, you could all, suddenly the whole, all, the whole, all that one can remember is seen and, and seen and, and no longer identified with. So there's nothing to be afraid of. You know, you're out of the fear realm. Fear comes out of the ignorance. And so on Sakyaditi level, one is easily intimidated. And uh, through fear, you know, I can threaten and, and uh, use tyr- tyranny and, and uh, the carrot and stick, you know, rewards and punishments and things like this. To, for Sakyaditi, people still caught in Sakyaditi. And that's what demagogues do, isn't it? Tyrants and dictators. They, they use fear to make you frightened so that you, you conform, you do, you obey, you follow, you don't, you don't go against because you know you're, you'll, be, you'll be dead if you do or your mother and father, your relatives will be tortured or slaughtered. So fear, you know, on the Sakyaditi level, you can control, you know, you can intimidate anyone on that level of Sakyaditi. But then in, because there is the escape, there is the unconditioned. Therefore, the, there is the escape from the condition. Well, that unconditioned then is here and now within the, the conditions that you're experiencing, your body, your breath, uh, your conditioning, your, your emotional state, thinking process, memories and all that. Those are all conditioned. But what is unconditioned is a sati sampachanya. So then this is, this is a, you know, reflecting, investigating uh, in ter- in Dhamma. This is the Dhamma. The Dhamma is unconditioned where the conditions arise and cease. So in terms of, you know, being criticized, being blamed for things I haven't done, nothing can make me more indignant personally than being blamed for something I haven't done. I mean, I can really get on a righteous, I get on a high horse with righteous indignation. And it's very exciting to be indignant righteously indignant is one of the more kind of exciting emotions in the human realm, I think. You know, that's why people get so, you know, zealots and, and fanatics and, and uh, you know, you get on your, your indignation. Get indignant about the injustices and the unfairness 
And you really, you know, it's really inspiring and stimulating. But it's still Sakyaditi. So it, you know, it's, as long as we we don't know what it is, then then we are, you know, we we're merely victims of our own kind of attachments. Now, in this, uh, you know, in seeing this, uh, this is so, you know, investigating just the first letter, Sakyaditi. So then, then the subject, then the then the question of what is the subject then, you know, like, you know, like awareness puts us into what I refer to as pure subjectivity. It's not, it's not Sakyaditi. But this, the reality of being a human being, of having a human body, a human form that's conscious, then there's this, this, the subject is here, isn't it, in terms of the experience now. Pure subjectivity. And then that, that, that is the point of awareness. Because then I can, then there's the reflecting on the way things are, on change, on the conditions, on inicha, dukkanata. Then you can you begin to you you begin to observe from this, but not in terms of sakyaditi anymore. When it comes to sakyaditi, then the conditions are: I like this, I don't like that. This is right, this is wrong. This is good and bad. And sakyaditi is all about you know right and wrong, good and bad, what should and shouldn't be, beautiful and ugly, demons and angels, heaven and hell. But from the unconditioned, then the conditions are seen as Dhamma. You know, they arise, they cease. Whatever arises, ceases. Whatever is born, dies. All conditions are transient. All Dhamma is not self. So in this way, you, you know, you, from this position of knowing, of pure awareness, you know, you, you, you see the, the misery of always putting your ego in as the subject. Like, because on a personal level, emotional habits, I'm, you know, it's the, the habit tendencies of my personality, my emotional experiences, I'm easily hurt, I'm easily offended, I, I can get upset over all kinds of things, I'm easily intimidated personally and emotionally on that level you know if 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 i'm and i can't change that you know i can't just create better conditions uh and try to to be satisfied with just trying to make better conditions when you know even if the conditions are better there's still the problem is still there So, get to the root of the problem, and that is, you know, the unconditioned, where the problems arise and cease.
Now, in in my own insight, then I can, uh, you know, observing this, uh, exploring, you know, using the Four Noble Truths, the Second, Third Noble Truths, that's a real powerful kind of insight. Through awareness, through observing the conditions that I'm, that, 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 that uh, uh, are happening here and now. is righteous indignation or hurt feelings or just being bored and annoyed or, or feeling uh, uh, attracted to something, feeling intimidated, whatever it is. It's all grist for the mill and, you know, you, you, your, your relationship to it changes from identity putting the ego in as a subject. How can, you, how can you do this to me kind of thing? How can you be so ungrateful to me? And how can, you know, what have I done to deserve this? <laughs> or, I'll never forgive you. You've, you've let me down so terribly. Or whatever, you know, trying to intimidate people into playing my games or going along with me or whatever. That's the ego where we, we put this, this sakaditi in as the subject and operate from there. Well, that's what, that's what my life was so miserable because that's what I was doing as they, before, I became, before I started meditating. You know, why was I so miserable? It wasn't you know, because of anything, you know, being treated badly or anything. It was, it was my sakyaditi, always, you know, it, it was never content. And it was, I'd get hurt over nothing. I'd get upset. I'd get, I'd feel lonely and, and uh, get depressed. And, and life was just, you know, meaningless. So at 30 years old, I thought, you know, this is horrible. If I have to live 30 more years just repeating this crap over and over for 30 more years, that's hell. And so the stimulation was to, to find a way out, a way to get out of that, the, the, that vortex of self. And yet I was very idealistic too. I wanted to dedicate my life to noble causes, altruism, you know, wanting to help the poor and, and solve the problems of society. And, and I'm, you know, I wasn't particularly, uh, you know, wanting to become wealthy and hoard wealth and, and, and make myself into, you know, some kind of the richest man in the world. My, at least I had rather noble aspirations even on a personal level. But still, even with noble aspirations, it was so full of Sakya Diti that it, you know, even no matter how hard I tried to, to do all the things to live up to my altruism, you know, I'd end up fail or feel disappointed or blame others or blame myself. The whole thing just seemed to, is a trap of just being caught in this, in this uh, whirling vortex. So then the, uh, 
then the 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 interest in Buddhism, of course, something resonated, isn't it? Kind of a, a sense, an intuitive sense that that this Buddhism was probably the way to resolve this problem. You know, it was like an intuition, uh, some something in you know, even in the in the superficial. Uh, knowledge I had of Buddhism at the time. There's something in it that r- resonated or rang true with me. On an intuitive level, I couldn't have uh, explained it intellectually or defended my position. So then that, you know, being in Southeast Asia, went to Thailand and from there, you know, it, it seems like everything opened up for me in terms of opportunities and and what not. And then this exploring this, this was, you know, what what I loved about uh, the style of Lung Po Cha was he really emphasized this investigation of the Four Noble Truths. Now I didn't get that from the, uh, when I started meditation at Wat Mahathat in Bangkok, it was all Abhidhamma and uh, this Mahasi Sayadaw type teaching and stages and all kinds of things. And so, you know, I found that, you know, it was, uh, I'm grateful for that because it, you know, it, ha- I, it got me going. It started me off. But what I found really, you know, of, of really getting to the root of Dhamma to, to investigate was through uh, Lung Po Cha, where, where you really put it into practice, you know, why, you know, being at Wat Pa Pong, why do I suffer here? You know, and he was always challenging me, Lung Po Cha. He says, oh, poor Samadho's always suffering. And then he'd laugh. And, and, you know, then I would think, yeah, I do. Why do I suffer so much? And then the Sakyaditi's say, oh, because of this, and they're too hot, and the mosquitoes, and... Uh, sweeping on the hot afternoon in the dust is miserable and and we had to work in the afternoons you know doing all kinds of chores and too much work blah 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 so much suffering and then then I began to see that sakyaditi I'm full of this sakyaditi I don't want to do this, I don't want to do that, it's too hot, I don't like the mosquitoes, the food isn't any good. (laughs) I really began to see, you know, as I listened to myself complaining and blaming. And then I, and I thought, and I really, really, is it, is what, and then one time Lung said, asked me, he says, is what Bapong suffering, you know? And, and then he walked off. He just left me with that question. And, and of course, my reaction, emotional reaction, is yes, it is. <laughs> but it, I didn't believe that anymore. Suddenly I really saw what I was doing. And I saw very clearly that what Bapong was not the cause of my suffering. Nothing there caused me suffering. I created suffering around the things there. It was like a shift, you know, just as an insight. Is a from the heat, the mosquito. You know, I could justify, uh, you know, in terms of sakya and worldly values, 
It wasn't an easy place to live or anything. But um, Ajahn Chah, you know, he deliberately mixed the food all up and so it tasted awful. You know, so, you know, so the food, you know, was, was terrible. And the, but when I actually began to, what is suffering? And I said, I create the suffering. I don't like this. I don't want that. My complaining mind is suffering. And then I began to see, you know, like Wat Pong, I began to appreciate it. Here, they take me, a foreigner, let me stay there, feed me, put robes on me, give me a place to live, teach me Dhamma, live in a kind of very morally impeccable way, good Vinaya, everything. You know, then I began to see it, you know, as, as you know, the goodness of the place that I was in and the and people there. And all the suffering that I created because uh, of this, this Sakyaditi habit of my personality always, you know, not wanting to do this, not, not agreeing with that, and not liking the mosquitoes and the heat. And, and, and I began to really uh, you know, from that point, there's an enormous kind of shift from, I've started listening, getting to recognize this Sakyaditi and how miserable it is to, to live life with that always in the subjective position. It's like you're living through a cloud, a miserable cloud, a, a miasma of, of uh, miserable gases that make every moment kind of unpleasant, gray and dismal. So when you see that, you know, you stop, you don't create that anymore. You trust in the awareness. And then the, then the Sakyaditi is seen, in, you know, and understood, not criticized. If I start criticizing Sakyaditi, I'm back in Sakyaditi again. It's just knowing, it's this. This is Sakyaditi. And that which is aware of Sakyaditi is not Sakyaditi. So I'll stop here. And <laughs> but uh, the encouraging this, you know, to, to really, you know, it's so easy to believe, to, so easy to, to be lost in this Sakyaditi. It's so convincing, so powerful. And that's where we need encouragement in seeing how to, how to see it, how to regard it, not just think, not just hold the Buddhist views about Sakyaditi, but to actually recognize the, what it is. And to then once you see it, you, you, you're no longer helplessly bound to it anymore. You, you're, you're, the, you're the unconditioned is, is the escape rather than just uh, running, keep running into more conditioning, escaping through grasping other conditions.